And thanks for joining me once again for another episode of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel, here, and it's time for part two of my chat with Dr. Jim Red. And there's going to be a little bit of overlap with the beginning of this episode and kind of the end of uh, of last week's episode. There was there was some there was kind of a gap where it was a few days in between times we recorded, and per uh, Dr. Red and I talking, we we kind of he mentioned that he wanted to kind of go back and and talk about some of the some of the players and things, and that's one of the things that that I wanted to uh, talk about. You know, for some of us younger fans like myself that you know that weren't around for uh, you know for those days in the in the sixties, seventies, heck, even in the in the early and and mid eighties, really any any time you know before uh, before Mel Churchma, and uh, so anyway, it's just kind of neat to go back and kind of learn who who some of the main players were, and even some of the guys that you know that uh, you know that maybe were captains, were leaders, and and uh, important to the teams, but maybe, you know, as you, as you look back through the record books or, or the box scores and stuff like that, aren't guys that show up there. So, so there'll be a little bit of an overlap between the beginning of this episode and last week's episode. And I will say as well, if, if you haven't listened to last week's, I would stop right now and, and go back and listen to that one and then come back and, and listen to this one. But uh, th- this episode, for the most part, we talk kind of in uh, through a- after Dr. Red was head coach. And then kind of in the 80s, he had a different role. And then up to his appointment as athletic director in 1994, being part of the hiring process of Coach Mel Churchma, and then all the improvements and things and, and up to his time in 2001 when he retired as, as athletic director. And of course, Dr. Bob stepped up and, and took over then, who he, he's somebody that I definitely want to get, uh, definitely want to get Dr. Bob on here as well. But uh, anyway, well, let, that's that's as much as I'm going to intro it and say, let's take a quick time out. We'll take a break here. Come back here. Part two of my chat with Dr. Jim Red next here on Bleeding Green. Hi, this is Xavier Oman, former Northwest Bearcat. You're listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. Once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. And welcome back here on Bleeding Green. Host Matt Daniel here with you and joined by Dr. Jim Red. He was a head football coach, uh, athletic director, uh, played football. He's pretty much at Northwest consistently from 1963 to 2001. And uh, this is part two of our chat. Jim, we had so much stuff to talk about. We had to kind of divide this up. And and uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining me again. And I think we've got some good, good stuff to talk about. Sure enough, Matt. Thank you. And uh... You'd mentioned uh, our 1979 season, which was a huge season for the Bearcats uh, at that time, where we uh, went from uh, the season before where we played a lot of freshmen and sophomores in that year and uh, basically, you know, really fought hard all year, but we didn't have much success, actually, went on 11 and then at 79 with the same group of kids, and we, we uh, uh, added a few more. Uh, to them, but basically the same roster, and we won the conference in '79, and uh, we had a lot of big ball games in that year, uh, leading up to that. And our first victory was a huge one at Fort Hayes State, out at Fort Hayes. It was a Saturday night ball game, and uh, we uh, won 17 to seven. And uh, we played really good defense uh, throughout almost all the time. Paul Reed was my defensive coordinator and Dave Evans offensive coordinator and uh, we uh, were running some option at that time veer option etc and 
Mark Smith, our quarterback, did a nice job uh, with the option and then also had some big passes to uh, uh, a triple option pass, both to uh, Gary Hogue as well as Brad Selmeyer. But anyway, as the game progressed, uh, it was a tight game through most of the most of the evening. But uh, we had uh, a big interception that night on a screen pass. We had some really good athletes uh, playing on our defensive side as well, with uh, Wayne Allen playing a defensive end, along with uh, uh, also with excuse me here, uh, Greg Lees as a strong safety and Jeff Conway as a defensive safety and also our other uh, defensive end was a, a great ball player, Al Cade, who went on, went on and played a year up in the Canadian League as a linebacker with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But anyway, in that game, we had some really good pass rush shot of Jim Shemwell, a defensive tackle, and also one of our captains played very well, Lance Corbin, from Raytown South is where Lance played. But we had a lot of, lot of really good players on defense, and uh, Wayne Allen intercepted the uh, uh, screen pass and took it back about 60 yards for a touchdown and, uh, you know, put us over the hump, so to speak, and we won 17-7. to So there was a, a lot of a lot of players at that time that just had great perseverance. They believed in the program. They believed, believed in one another and the coaches and uh, we were able to get on a winning streak and won the MIAA conference. The conference at that time was, as far as numbers of schools in the league, was all Missouri schools. We had uh, Southwest Missouri State that year. We had a huge win there. Uh, uh, I forget the exact score, 30 to 34 to 20, something like that. In Springfield, it's now Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State at Cape Girardeau. Uh, Northeast Missouri over Kirksville. University of Missouri, Rolla, Lincoln University, Central Missouri, and so forth. That was before Missouri Southern and Western came into the conference. So we had uh, we had like five or six conference games every year, and the rest of our schedule were non-conference. And uh, Fort Hayes at that time was a non-conference game, as opposed to today. They're one of the leading schools in the MIAA, so the conference expanded uh, greatly after that, which I think is a really good good thing. But anyway, that was a tremendous moment for us out at Fort Hayes and broke a losing streak, plus also gave us the confidence to go on and become conference champions as a real team effort in 1979. Well, and one of the things that, you know, we, we kind of, and that's why I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. We kind of glossed over that a little bit, um, you know, and, and there were, uh, you know, so many great players too from that time. And, you know, we talked about a few of them. I'm really glad you, you brought up Al Cade. He was an all, all a conference player at the time. And, and uh, Mark Smith, I think we mentioned Kirk Matthews who had left the season before, but the kind of the amazing thing about that 78 year, although it was 0 and 11, he was an all American. I think when he left school, he was the MIAA career leader in yard in, in yardage for a quarterback, which was kind of amazing. Then of course his son, Josh comes to uh, the Bearcats in the, um, you know, later on, which is, it's kind of amazing. I didn't know really honestly, until I was kind of doing some research here that Josh's dad played, you know, for the Bearcats and was an all American. So, Right. Um, you know, yeah, Kirk, Kirk Matthews was a, a great quarterback for us. Uh, he was uh, his freshman year. He started for us. Uh, 
in his very first game against uh, Nebraska Kearney. Again, they were not in the league, but a really top team at that time. And Kirk hit uh, two touchdown passes to Dave Guerrero up up in, in uh, Kearney, Nebraska. And interesting about Kirk, too, is that at that time we were seeking a quarterback that was a good passer and could also run the option. And uh, Gladden Dye was our head coach at that time. I was a line coach. And came across Kirk Matthews out of St. Louis uh, Lafayette High School, which is in the Rockwood School District, suburban area. And he happened to play for my high school coach. My high school coach's name was Jack Kirsting. And Coach Kirsting uh, recommended Kirk very strongly. And uh, Kirk came to us and really developed as a quarterback. In high school, Kirk was in a suburban league in St. Louis, actually was honored as a second-team quarterback in that league and of course he came to us and as you mentioned uh, set all kinds of passing records for us and did a nice job also uh, with the option and uh, that particular year in 79 he helped us as a graduate assistant so Kirk had lots of abilities uh, in leadership as well as on the football field and uh, is a uh, still a very strong friend of mine and as well as uh, uh, a real Bearcat alum. Yeah, well, and we, you know, we talk about the family thing. I thought that was just neat, kind of the Matthews family. You know, one of those families we see that with, um, you know, just just now, you know, with with Bart Tatum's sons on the on the Bearcats. Alec just just graduated, and Miles on the team, and and different things like that. Like that's just kind of. I think it's kind of cool that you know we think as as fans, right? When I say we, I mean like my peers. Um, you know, kind of, you know, everything's so 1994 to now centric. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you too, is kind of get some of the history and, and honestly educate myself. And it's just, uh, you know, there, there's kind of always been that, um, you know, the, the family atmosphere and there's always kind of been something special. I think about Northwest is one of my big takeaways from all this. Right. And then, uh, Kirk, uh, his dad, I don't think, missed a game over the four-year period that he was playing, but it reminds me, my first head uh, coaching de- debut was in Shadron, Nebraska in 1976, and uh, Kirk's dad from St. Louis took a bus from St. Louis to Shadron, Nebraska, if you can imagine that. Shadron, as I'm sure most of you know, is out in the panhandle of Nebraska, so you can just imagine the length of that bus trip to see Kirk play, and I think that's a tremendous uh, view of, of family uh, behind the Bearcats, and in that particular game, too, Russ Brownrig started at quarterback for us, and Russ was from Independence, Missouri, and he, uh, he <laughs> my first game there, too, in an a option play, he actually uh, severely broke his leg, and then Kirk came in and finished the ball game with a winning pass to Brad Boyer that day when we we smashed him six to three but uh, again great defense but again uh, Russ Brownrig uh, had a, a career-ending uh, broken leg there and had to stay in Shadron and I, I must m- mention that the Shadron coach did a great job because we had to leave <laughs> leave Russ there in the hospital for several days before he was able to be transported back to Maryville so I mean uh, it's just the uh, the camaraderie between coaches and the captains of the Shadron team did a great job coming in to see Russ and so forth when he was in the hospital at Shadron. So, you know, many of these things stand out. And uh, and uh, Sandy Miller was our athletic trainer at that time. And uh, 
anyway, his his first son was to be born the day that we played Shattern, so the grad assistant trainer went with us instead of Sandy. His name's Dennis McMeekin, and I'll never forget how, how well Dennis did in the care of Russ Brownrigg. And so we always kidded uh, uh, Sandy Miller, our longtime athletic trainer, way back when our program was just getting started in athletic training, that he should name his first son Shadron. But he didn't <laughs> do that. But anyway, you know, those are some inside jokes that, you know, were going on with our staff and everything. Well, and, and you know, going on, I kind of mentioned this last time, the 1980 season was, was a 2-8 and eight season, but then you, you kind of, it was it was kind of like that. Maybe you'd have a down year, and then you, you kind of bounce back 6-5 and five in 81, and then wrap things up 2-7-1 uh, and one in uh, in 82. But let's, you know, talk, tell me about some of the other great players. I know you, Brian Quinn was a quarterback for you guys, Greg Baker as a running back. Um, right, you know, and, and some other yeah. kind of players during Greg that Baker time. Greg Baker was a, a really fine running back too, out of St. Charles, Missouri, and then uh, Brian Quinn is a quarterback. He came to us out of Miami, Florida, from uh, Dade County, and and uh, John Frangoulis, one of my assistant coaches, got a tip about Brian, and that's how we we were able to locate Brian, and he did a nice job, particularly with the option. Uh, Greg Baker was a real strong running back and uh, played for us a lot over three years. A good friend of his played linebacker, too. Bruce Lang did a very good job out of Kansas City. Uh, he he was a what we call a weak side linebacker at that time. Uh, also, going back to that 79 team, too, uh, my assistant coach, Paul Reed, and I went down to uh, Florida to try to locate some speed and so forth for our team. And uh, we went to Hillsborough County. A lot of coaches go down there and try to recruit the entire state of Florida. We decided to just concentrate in one area where he had coached once upon a time, and we were able to attack, uh, attract 10 kids or so from uh, Florida, and they did a really nice job for us. Gary Cotton was a good, line, a good defensive lineman for us. And met many other ball players. Don a lot became a very good running back for us in '79 as a freshman, and did, did a great job. And, and there, there are many others, you know, from that Florida connection that did a really good job. And uh, you know, without Paul's uh, contacts in Florida, it would have been very difficult for us to attract those folks. But a lot of the coaches knew Paul, and you know, trusted what could happen here in the Midwest. You know, coming from Tampa, and of course. The president of our school at that time was Dr. B.D. Owens, and he'd come to Northwest. He was a Northwest alum, and he came to us from Tampa University, so that helped as well to have that connection, you know, that people in Tampa knew who he was. So that helped as well to to attract some of those Florida kids. And, uh, you know, all those things tie together, and you have to have that uh, uh, administrative support in order to do well in our our situation, you know, as far as kind of up and down, we had we had some uh, difficulties uh, there with uh, sustaining an effort, and the scholarships changed, uh, not sustaining the effort so much, but sustaining the kids because of our scholarship situations at that time were all based. Our total budgets were based on in-state cost and that kind of thing, and when you went to out-of-state area, it. it well, the, the finances for an out-of-stater was more expensive for us than an in-state. And uh, the conference changed at that time, too, after I finished coaching, where everything could be based on uh, 
in-state and out-of-state cost. In other words, you could get get enough income for your scholarship budget to maintain, uh, you know, the out-of-staters. In other words, let's just take a quick example. Let's say it was the total cost at that time was ten thousand dollars for an in-state, out-of-state say it was fifteen thousand, and. Uh, Dr. Hubbard was really good to us at that time when I was athletic director. He said, well, how should we uh, attack this situation? I said, well, about 50% of our athletes are out-of-state, 50% in-state. He said, well, I need a little more specifics than that. So he said, go back and do a a five-year study and see where athletes came from. And it was 60% out-of-state and 40% in-state. So our total scholarship budget... Uh, was based on 40% in-state and 60% out-of-state. So consequently, it cost the university more to to fund those scholarships at that time than if it would have been just Jim Red's 50-50. By doing that study, we actually increased our scholarship budget with 60% out-of-state and 40% in-state. I don't know if I made that very clear, but that was a huge change in uh, in our athletic program, and uh, it assisted not only football but all sports in that light. And uh, so it takes that administrative support, and I, I always uh, want to give credit to Dr. Hubbard to take take a look at real data, not just a guess. <laughs> sure, right, right. Well, 82 kind of brings an end to 16 straight years where um, where you were coaching. You know, what, uh, what were your – I don't know, you know, you know, your feelings. I mean, I'm assuming it wasn't an easy thing. No, no, it was very, 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 uh, very difficult at that time. Uh, for us, you know, we'd put for us, us, I mean, our entire family and as well as their coaching staff, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we'd given, uh, our heart and soul to the program and, and so forth. And as I reflect back on it now, it was, it was, uh, uh, it's hard to say, but it was probably the right time for a change, not only for me, but many others with, associated with our program. And uh, some personal things that were going on at that time. Uh, I had a, I always had a, a, a strong allegiance to both the department itself and physical education. I taught the beginning anatomy and physiology course, as well as a number of all all the courses in physical education major. And uh, I had a desire to go on back to school, and Northwest was good to uh, allow us to do that and maintain the uh, professorship. I was given an assistant professorship at the university and given a sabbatical leave and uh, went to Oklahoma State to finish uh, my coursework. I'd taken some coursework during during the years, and I was able to finish the last 36 hours at uh, Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, which was a very great experience and a very good time for our life. Our life as a family, personally, my kids were in the, well, ninth grade and seventh grade and second grade. And uh, my wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer, Rosemary, uh, at that time. And in the, actually in the summer of 83, and I started to go to school that summer, but when she came down with cancer, uh, we were able to put everything down uh, on on the shelf, so to speak, and Oklahoma State and Northwest both were very gracious to us and allowed me to start uh, the next summer in the summer of 84, so I went summer, fall, spring, and finished my coursework, and 
I did an athletic administration uh, study, uh, and I completed that in the 85-86 school year, and it was one of the first NCAA Division II studies that were done, and uh, the MIAA was was the uh, was a conference that was studied, and I was able to include all the presidents of the MIAA schools, all the athletic directors, and all the senior women's administrators, and also all the faculty athletic representatives. And I visited each of the uh, universities in the MIAA for two days and uh, did uh, a study with a <coughs> interview questionnaire that I developed that was approved by the NCAA, and it was, came to be a, a rather prominent study within the NCAA for Division Two. So I felt uh, very, very honored to be able to do that study, and that, that it had real merit for the uh, uh, development of NCAA Division Two because the MIAA at that time was very considered one of the top conferences, and that was before the expansion into the Kansas schools and Nebraska and Oklahoma schools. So I think that had a, a good foundation, too, for increasing the size of our conference and also uh, really uh, bring forth the uh, concept and philosophy of the importance of Division Two as compared to Division One athletics, uh, where we're able to maintain a still educational, a true student-athlete opportunity for kids where they're not... Uh, expected to devote all their time solely to athletics. And I think that's been reflected at Northwest graduation rates over the years. I know that during Mel's 17 years as head coach, I believe the kids had committed to the program that was over a five-year period and stayed that they redshirted all freshmen almost every year. And our graduation rate was 87%, which is phenomenal. Uh, for the students, and, and one of the big things that Dr. Hubbard insisted upon is that we have a program that will really encourage the continuation of their education and actually seek graduation. And one of the really tremendous highlights during my time as an athletic director goes back to our first national championship in 1998, and uh, we were playing in Florence, Alabama. And uh, we went undefeated that year, but there was a huge tent outside the Holiday Inn in Florence, and there was about 5,000 alums there. And the night before, on Friday, we had graduation at Northwest Missouri State, but we had 11 seniors on our football team that were not able to be there. And he brought down, with the help of the vice president, Mike Johnson, their caps and gowns, unbeknownst to those 11 players and their families, and then before the alumni meeting of 5,000 people under this tent, it was raining as well. Dr. Hubbard conferred those degrees on those players with their caps and gowns on there. And you talk about an emotional time. That was, to me, what Division Two is all about. Yeah, that's that's pretty special. Well, kind of go back a little bit, then talk about you, you, you come back to Northwest and what, obviously you become athletic director. We'll talk about that in a minute, but what, what was your role then when you, when you came back after receiving your doctorate? Okay. After becoming, uh, my, uh, receiving, earning my doctorate, I, uh, Dr. Jim Haroff, the chair of our department, uh, asked me to help develop the master's program in health and physical education. I became the graduate school coordinator 
in our department, and we expanded our grad assistant program there from about a half a dozen grad assistants to 26 over a 10-year period. And that was during a time, too, that gave me flexibility as well in my teaching, et cetera, because my wife, uh, Rosemary, battled cancer for 10 years, and she passed away in 1993, November the 7th. But uh, during that time, it, it gave flexibility for us with treatments, et cetera, in, in the cancer battle. But during that time, the grad assistant program grew tremendously, and uh, I think a lot of folks don't understand how important that program was. For example, in football, it allowed like four graduate assistants that would come on, and we'd take on a two-year program, and two of them would be there, uh, and then we staggered them so that all four left at the same time. And these guys are all over the country coaching today, same way in athletic training. We had a couple there, had a couple in basketball, both men and women's basketball, et cetera. But it gave us uh, a really good uh, uh, scheme, scheme of having uh, position coaches by sport and uh, and then also uh, giving them an opportunity to enhance their careers by earning their master's degree over a two-year period rather than taking a 12-hour grad program each semester, uh, they would take pretty much either six or nine hours at that time academically so that they could uh, really continue to certainly concentrate on their academics, but at the same time allow them to really enhance their athletic program to be able to uh, spend time with those coaches. And it's like a uh, glorified internship type thing. And uh, we were able to provide them uh, a stipend to, to live off of as well as a tuition break. So it was a really good situation, and I, I know that program still exists today. And uh, I directed that program for about 10 years, and in my own academic uh, programs at that time, I was, I was also teaching an advanced class in physiology called exercise physiology, both at the undergrad and graduate level and also taught a class in athletic administration. And uh, those uh, two classes, I think, have helped an awful lot of people as they proceeded in their careers. And uh, we, it was like having a team, so to speak, a graduate assistant team of having 24 students there. And as I said, 12, there'd be 12 new ones each, each year, and 12 would be in their second year. So as we pr proceeded with that, I think that, that's one program that a lot of people, I don't think they really realize how important that was to the success of the Bearcats, not only in football, but in all sports. Oh, dang it. Hey, uh, Jim, can you hang on for just a second? And uh, we'll uh, roll. I'll just count us but down I do here think that I do think that program uh, had a real impact athletically. Mm -hmm. so. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of at this time, I mean, you know, especially when you were at Northwest, but when you're away, I mean, were you kind of following the, you know, following the, the football team, so to speak? Because in that gap, right, from, you know, if, if we're going to skip ahead to, to late 93 when you become the athletic director, which we'll talk about in a minute, you have a, a playoff team in 84, the first, um, you know, playoff team in Northwest history. And then again, uh, that was under Vern Thompson. And then in 89 and under uh, Bud Elliott, I mean, of course, and you're back by then. Are you um, not necessarily involved, but, I mean, are you following the, the team pretty closely at that oh, point? Yes, very much so. Continuing to follow the Bearcats uh, when I was in grad school in Stillwater. Uh, during the course of that year, many of the players that uh, 
that uh, Vern had on that first ball club there in, in uh, 83 and, and then 84, they were still there. And uh, many of them, like Steve Savard and, and Brian Quinn and uh, uh, oh, Pete, uh, oh, there's quite quite a few of them here. I'm, I'm trying to just keep keep in mind all, all of them that were still playing at that time. But uh, there were quite a few, and uh, a lot of the starters for him at that time were youngsters that played for me in, in 82. Uh, Doug Roos, as well as another one that's gone on into a lot of coaching and so on, was a quarterback. So there, there were a lot of them. Uh, Danny, Danny Anderson was a tight end. Hunter did a really nice job for Vern as well. And I, I'd known Vern through the years as a head junior college coach up in Ellsworth, uh, Iowa and uh, had a chance to know him some. So no, I, I kept tabs because uh, not only for, from the Bearcats, but also from the standpoint that a lot of the players that he had uh, were, were still, you know, playing for him that I'd help recruit. So anyway, that I did stay close there. And then when Bud Elliott became head coach, I was working with the graduate program and certainly worked with him in terms of getting graduate assistance and it was very interesting to follow his style of football, which was the wishbone and so forth at that time, option football, and he did some interesting things from a former football coach's perspective that I really enjoyed watching. He used some unbalanced line with the option, which was something that was quite different than a lot of other people that were doing it and did it quite successfully. And it was fun to see the development of the team and the Bearcats at that time as well. And he had some uh, really 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 good uh, good teams uh, during his tenure there. I think, it was, I think he was head coach for about seven years. And then uh, as time progressed, then uh, the university decided to make a change, and uh, uh, Coach Flanagan decided to uh, retire at that time. And Dr. Hubbard asked me to uh, uh, run a, uh, a football search and Bob Henry was very instrumental at that time, too. As he was one of the main uh, folks on the cabinet with Dr. Hubbard. and We did a search process, and uh, we were very fortunate to uh, locate a tremendous person and tremendous coach, Mel Churchman, and uh, offered him the position. And uh, he was one of 100 candidates at that time. And, uh, we felt really good about the process and about Mel becoming our head coach. And I'd had contact with Mel through the years uh, myself as an, when I was an assistant coach, uh, recruiting up in Denison, Iowa, where Mel was head coach at that time in high school. And then knew him too when he was at Orange City, at the head track coach and offensive coordinator with Northwestern College there in Orange City. And then followed his career there at Austin College in Texas. And as I said, we were uh, quite blessed to be able to hire Mel, and I'm glad he's still with us, a true Bearcat, all the way from head coach to athletic director to the Board of Regents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, and he mentioned he mentioned that recruiting in, in, in Denison, and of course he had a, a pretty good running back by the name of Jim Svoboda, at the time, yeah. who, who ends up being one of the candidates for for the in the head coaching process too, in which uh, in which yes. you know Mel Mel yeah. gets hired, um, and and right around that time, I mean, you you become athletic director. I think the the way Mel tells the story is he he called to kind of um, 
you know, in, inquire about who's going to be the athletic director before he made a final decision. And I think it was the day before or something you were announced as a, uh, as athletic director. I mean, was, um, you know, was that something you sought out, uh, to be the AD or did it, I mean, did it just kind of happen or, um, obviously I think it just it more or less, I think it really kind of just happened. I know when, when coach Flanagan and decided to retire, uh, Dr. Hubbard actually at that time had been over in Europe at some type of educational conference and uh, he had uh, contacted Bob Henry and asked Bob to ask me if I'd head up the search committee, which I did. And uh, at that time, this was in about the 1st of December of that year, uh, we hired Mel at actually in the end of 1993. And uh, as time progressed through the search process, Dr. Hubbard had talked to me about the athletic director's position, and he said, you know, we're going to do an internal search so for the AD's job, and there were two or three others that were had interest in it, and he asked me if I'd be interested. And I said, yes, I didn't really go out and seek the position. I wouldn't say that, but when he asked me if I'd be interested, I did say yes. So I submitted my application, and then I was hired shortly before Mel was hired as head coach. So uh, that was kind of how all that evolved. And uh, we did uh, brought five folks in to interview for that particular position. But, uh, you know, we kind of followed our our heart, and uh, we had five good candidates all, all, all the way through. But, you know, sometimes when you're hiring a coach and so forth, too, it's a uh, got to be a gut instinct and I really felt like Mel was the right man for the position and uh, we're able to uh, make that recommendation recommendation to Dr. Hubbard which he followed and Jim Swoboda was a good candidate but there are a lot of good candidates in the mix and we we're very blessed to be able to put together a great staff and um, again Dr. Hubbard had a lot to do with that as well in terms of being able to hire some experienced assistants rather than guys right out of college. And we were able to hire Jim Swoboda and uh, Bart Tatum, who did play for Mel at Austin College. And it's amazing. He was a running back for him, and he became one of the better line coaches in the country, Mm -hmm. Bart Tatum. And then Swoboda became our offensive coordinator, and then Jim Swoboda had coached with uh, Scott Bostwick at Nebraska Wesleyan before. And uh, Scott was out in uh, in the state of Washington. I think it was uh, Western Washington, I believe, is where he was at the time. And uh, being an Omaha lad, he wanted to get back to the Midwest. And we were very fortunate to be able to find him as well and be able to hire him. But again, from uh, again, it comes back to administrative support. Uh, Dr. Hubbard made that possible with being able to uh, give us flexibility on the amount of money that could be spent for salaries and to be able to track, uh, again, experienced people, not just folks right out of school. So yeah, that, that made a lot of difference, too, with uh, the grad assistance we're bringing in to be able to, uh, as coaches say, to coach them up, you know, and to be able to uh, develop them in positions and so on. And, you know, that <clears throat> you could see the things developing. I mean, this. Mel's first year, he had to make some really tough decisions, and I certainly backed him all the way on those decisions, and he set the tone or expectations for the squad and this kind of thing. 
went through an old eleven season, and the next year we went six and five, and uh, and then you know had a nice team that year, and then then we got into playoff situations, and eventually you know from ninety four going on eleven to ninety eight, the national championship I think speaks for itself. Well, you talk about a, a gut feeling for a coach T. That's that's pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good gut feeling. But yeah, you know, yeah, there were a lot of tough decisions that he had to make. I mean, was that part of it? I mean, did you guys kind of know maybe that the team needed cleaned up a little bit, so to speak, and that you know it was going to take somebody of you know kind of a you know strong backbone, strong character to to come in and and make the tough decisions like that. No, no question, and and uh, a lot of it was. Uh, the previous coaches and so on, I, I think they, they let things get a little out of control discipline-wise in the community and so on. And uh, I know that was part of the reason that they wanted to make a change at that time. And, uh, you know, some of the folks were happy about that, some were not. You know, I talked about in the community and some of the, the local boosters and things of that nature. But at the same time, uh, uh, you know, Mel was has... He's a man of character, and uh, he certainly uh, expressed his uh, expectations and then followed through with those. In other words, uh, there wasn't a lot of debate. And yet, at the same time, he was the kind of guy, too, that would pick somebody up and uh, help them develop uh, as well. Like Jesse Haynes, for example, was a a great running back for us. And, uh, you know, he had been on Coach Elliott's team and for some difficulties, I don't know all the background of it because I wasn't coaching at that time. But uh, Jesse had been dismissed from the team, and this was before Mel ever got there. And then uh, Mel, <clears throat> Jesse approached him about returning to the team and this kind of thing. He, Jesse had actually came to Mel, and they worked out a plan of what he needed to do in order to uh, be in good graces with the football program and the university academically, et cetera. And, uh, you know, Jesse is uh, <laughs> a really fine person, and he, he grew a lot from that situation and uh, not only became an All-American football player, but he's an All-American person. And uh, Russ Nordup was our faculty athletic representative that time, at that time in, in the business department, just <sighs> worked as a mentor with Jesse throughout that period and still is today. And Jesse is one of the more successful folks from our program. And he lives in Fort Worth, Texas, once again, but spent a number of years here in Kansas City and has done a great job. So, I mean, what I'm saying is that Mel would work with people as well, too. It wasn't just a hammer situation on everybody, but at the same time, they knew what the expectations were. And if they didn't follow those and it was their decision, not his decision. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, there are the other budget concerns and things like that, right? Early on, which are which are some of the same challenges that you faced when you were coach. That you know, we kind of talked about the Bearcat Booster Club and some, some different things. I mean, you know that that was something. I mean, you know, understanding that budget situation did that kind of help you be able to obviously you know, you're managing all, all athletics, but we're specifically talking about football. I mean, did that kind of help you understand some of the challenges that, that coach T and that staff was undergoing and then, you know, figure out ways to help them? I, w- I would say so. Uh, yes. I hope they feel that way. And, 
I think having an understanding of, uh, you know, what it takes to not only compete but win at that level. You know, one of the <laughs> one of the harshest words I think as an athletic director say I want somebody to compete. Well, obviously we want to compete, but I guess I'm enough of a competitor to want to win. <laughs> okay, so. And I think that's being expressed in all of our athletic programs at Northwest today. Uh, certainly, too, as we speak here today, uh, you know, our basketball team's en route to possibly another national championship, uh, you know, in Indiana today. So, anyway, uh, we want to do well in all sports, but I think, too, football has a, a real important stature as far as the athletic program is concerned. And, you know, we during my athletic directorship time too, we did a lot to improve the facilities throughout campus. Uh, we our first project as athletic director, we built an on-campus uh, softball field. You know, and then uh, did some upgrades in tennis and things like that. Uh, and then we went ahead and and got the ball rolling on the new stadium at Northwest. And you know, if anybody was around 20 years ago compared to the stadium at that time to what it is today, I think there's, they'd go, oh, my, you know. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. old Rick and Brode, yeah. And and, uh, and and even going back, you know, to the later days of Rick and Brode before it became Bearcat Stadium, but even before that, yeah, it was uh, yeah, definitely a lot different. Well, yes, and, and uh, you know, we had a lot of help doing those kinds of things. Uh, I had an assistant with me at that time, two assistants, uh, Sherry Reeves, an assistant athletic director, and Matt Simmons was our business manager. Matt currently is on the physical education staff at Northwest, but was really, both those folks were extremely helpful in terms of putting together our plan. And when I retired, we had the uh, east side of the stadium was completed, and we had all the architectural plans for the west side of the stadium and we did it in phases in order to be able to finance it during those during those years and uh, as I say you can you can take a look at the stadium today and and I hope have a real appreciation for the change that has taken place and Dr. Hubbard again was very influential in that because we had some initial ideas and so on and he reminded me so many times that you're when you're building a new facility like that, you're not building it just for today, you're building it for 50 years from now. So one of the things that he wanted was to, to you know, have the stadium side with uh, the various booths and so forth up there, and then also the opportunity to have uh, a, a great press box where the, the newspapers and everybody else in in the radio and television, et cetera, would be happy to, to come to our place. And uh, David Boyce, who was with the Kansas City Star at that time, you know, he always said, this is where I want to be because of the facilities. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, all those things do tie together. And we stubbed in the areas for, for lighting once again. And then as time progressed, uh, Dr. Bob Borker, et cetera, carried on and got the stadium completed and then also install lights and eventually into the turf and everything else that has gone with the stadium and you know it's progressed and now we have the Hughes indoor facility and all that that goes along with it so you know the the facilities are dramatically changed and of course Lampkin is is certainly uh, 
lasted over time, and and all the improvements have been made there. And uh, Bearcat Arena, I think, are, are very very great in terms of providing uh, again a home court advantage in basketball and volleyball, et cetera. So you know, a lot of people have worked hard together to get this done, and. Uh, I think one other thing I'd like to mention, that's not so much about me, but it's about Dr. Hubbard. He approached me, too, about uh, when Jim Haroff was retiring. He was the chair of the physical education department. I was athletic director. He uh, wanted to get a different administrative structure there in the department, and uh, I became the director of athletics and for health and physical education and with my academic background. And we were able to hire Terry Robertson and eventually Gary Collins as the academic chairs in the department. But again, this allowed for decisions to be made financially, uh, position-wise, personnel-wise, also with uh, budgets, et cetera, uh, rather than going to a vice president or a dean that really might not have understood the entire intertwines of athletics and physical education, recreation, and health, and so forth. The academic and the uh, athletic side of it, and also with the intramural program. So by putting all that <laughs> basically at home, that uh, I did serve on the cabinet, and so did Dr. Bob Borker, and I believe uh, Coach Mel and others have continued to serve on the cabinet at the university, but again, I think that was really important for the development of our entire program, uh, athletically and educationally. So again, I think I'm just trying to emphasize the importance of having administrative support, which gives you the tools to do the things that we all enjoy today as Bearcat Athletics and and puts our university uh, certainly in the limelight, recognizable. I think one of the things that really always stood in my mind in 1999 when we won the national championship again, two years in a row, four overtime game, I was with Mel and others at the NCAA national meetings, and there's a guy named Roger Staubach, who I think a lot of people remember who that is, received a big award from the NCAA for his citizenship and so on in his play with the Dallas Cowboys. But I went up uh, after the speeches and everything and asked him to sign my program and he looked at my name and, and on my name tag and university and says for sure Jim I'd love to sign your, your program you're from the four overtime school <laughs> so so you talk about recognition you know of our university uh, I think it, it has really meant a lot to the development of our school well and I think the the you know you look at at uh you know, the, the 98, 99 title games, right? When you win, it's probably a little easier to go out and ask for money to fundraise for things. I mean, th- those ultimately, I think, um, you know, end up is, is why part of the reason why the start of why, you know, we got a new, you know, a new uh, Bearcat stadium that, that was Rick and Brode, you know, and all these different upgrades and things over the years, you think of the national championships and other things, Um you know, is there community buy-in? Yes, but the success, oh boy, that, you know, that certainly helps, I'm sure. Oh, no, no question. And, and uh, you know, it's it, and going back to the family atmosphere, too. I know we, Scott Bostwick was instrumental in starting our uh, 
very first uh, uh, Bearcat football golf tournament, which is now known as the uh, Shauna Zach Scott Boswick Tournament, and it's been going on for over 20 years now. But, you know, they have two flights, I believe, and have over 300 golfers, and most of those golfers have either played football for us or been instrumental in the alumni or, or those that uh, want to be part of the program, and that's been a real critical fundraiser for the football program. And then uh, also uh, uh, in basketball, uh, one of the great alums there, too, that was very close with Coach Tapmeyer at that time, uh, Chip Strong, and they've, they've started uh, a, a golf tournament in to help assist in men's basketball. And I I can't think right now of any others that are doing things of that nature, but I'm sure there are other sports that have special uh, fundraising situations. And again, uh, again, Dr. Hubbard allowed us to, in the foundation itself, if you wanted to support a particular sport as a donor, you could earmark your money for that sport. In other words, if I wanted to give, say, $1,000 and I wanted 500 of it to go to football, 250 to go to men's basketball, and 250 to women's basketball, I could divide it up that way into their accounts. Now, that money could be spent by those sports, but with the approval of the athletic director. So, again, those kinds of decisions are, <laughs> are really key, is all I'm trying to say. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, you you know, as you look back at, at your time as athletic director, which comes to an end in in two thousand one, there's thirty MIAA championships across all the all the sports, and I'm really glad you mentioned Lampkin and, and Bear Katarina because obviously, you know, the coaches get get the nice uh, offices and things that that they have now, the track and the the soccer pitch, some other things that that didn't get mentioned there. But um, you know, in, in two thousand one, I mean, w- was it time for you to to do something? else or, or step away for a while yes it it, it was uh, again from a personal standpoint uh you know I'll, I'll just be real candid about it we uh we were in the process we were able to see the funding and everything for the east side of the stadium the west side of the stadium was to be built and uh, there was a, a lot of challenge to fundraise enough for to complete the project so to speak and uh the seven years I was athletic director and chair of the department, I'd kind of came to the point where I, I hit a time frame where I, I was just personally uh, a little bit burnt out, so to speak. I don't know if I think people in the business world can, can probably relate to that. Uh, athletics in, in a collegiate setting is more like the business world, I think, than anything else at the university. And uh, Dr. Hubbard was very, very supportive and was working hard to get fundraiser in to assist in that particular project. But I just, I just felt it was time to turn it over to to uh, someone else. And uh, you know, he hired Dr. Bob Borter, who did a great job of completing the stadium and started the Arrowhead game and things of that nature. And uh, you know, there was a nice transition or a good transition there. And also, uh, at that time, too, in 2001, all three of my children were living here in Kansas City. And then uh, I'd been a, a bachelor from uh, 93, from November the 9th, uh, to, uh, again, uh, until 
January 16th, 2001, in uh, a Bearcat uh, cheerleader, uh, Joanne French, uh, became Mrs. Red, and uh, she was living in Kansas City, so uh, decided it was time to uh, take a little different turn in life and came down, and, and uh, we've been married ever since, and it's been a very, very great time for my life and hopefully for her life. And uh, also, uh, uh, after a year of being on a honeymoon, so to speak, then uh, <laughs> then I decided to, Larry Holly, a good friend of mine who I coached with once upon a time at Northwest, he was basketball coach, was at William Jewell College, and their athletic director was retiring. And he called me and said, I was 59 years old at the time, and he said, don't you have a few more years? And I said, I think so, Larry. And anyway, he asked me to come out and meet with the president and so forth there. And uh, I did. And I served there for athletic director and chair of the department for seven years and had a really good, good, good uh, relationship there with uh, an NAIA school. And uh, they eventually became NCAA Division II. And, uh, uh, you know, that year off, I think, really helped me a lot in terms of uh, recouping uh, some energy and so forth and being able to go full bore at it once again at William Jewell. And then after that, I decided to be retired, and then I flunked it again, so to speak. Uh, some uh, good friends of mine in the Catholic world, there was a principal at Archbishop O'Hara that was uh, suffering with some cancer, and they approached me about being an interim principal, and I went over to uh, Archbishop O'Hara and served there for two years. So anyway, totally in education, I was involved for 43 years, and uh, all were very, very uh, fulfilling opportunities for me, and I thank God for those opportunities. And I know this is me putting you on the spot here, but was there one? I don't. I don't know that I necessarily call it a favorite, but there was there any position that you enjoyed more? Was it was it in the administration part, or was it, um, you know, when you were teaching, or was it being the guy, you know, as the athletic director or, or head football coach? I mean, was there any one role that that you took more enjoyment in than any others? It, it's really hard to say. I would say probably uh, being the director of athletics and health and physical education those seven years at Northwest. Uh, uh, not that I was a power hungry type person, but at the same time uh, to be able to uh, I'll provide as a change agent for a particular uh, for Northwest. University that I loved dearly and uh, wanted to uh, see us move on and, and be recognized for the great quality institution that it is. So I think a lot of the things I've expressed moving into that, I was affected by many people like Rylan Miller, Dr. Burton Ritchie. When I was in school there, Dr. H.D. Pat Peterson. Those fellows who were all in the physical education department at that time. And Dr. Jerry Landwer was wrestling coach at Northwest at that time, taught in the area of anatomy and physiology, and I learned a lot from him and had a great desire to be an educator 
and I always looked at coaching as a form of as an educator coach and uh, to be able to provide those opportunities for certainly for our student athletes and, and and I think where it really really ties in is where you can see the program still growing and developing and the leadership that's been there and then also as athletes that you had the the honor of coaching through the years when they keep in touch with you that's really really fulfilling and I've been blessed to have a good number of people that have done that not only not only the uh, players but folks that you coach with and so on so I, I would say that that time as athletic director at Northwest and director of the physical education department that was probably the uh, I don't know if I'd say favorite but maybe the most rewarding type. Well, do you have a do you have a favorite game, football game for Northwest, whether it be from your time as a player or, or coach or, or athletic director? I know that's a big pool to pull from. I mean, is it that 99 title game? Um, is it, you know, a, a, you know, the MIAA championship team for when you were coaching? Or I don't know. Is there a game you always think back to as, oh, man, you know, that one was just, just so, so great? I, I think uh... – I think certainly the four overtime game was huge. Uh, there was one that was on campus when we played uh, Texas A&M uh, Huntsville, I think it is down south. We played them at home, and uh, Mel was coaching. We we beat them in the playoffs there. You'd have to do a little research, help me on that a little bit. But uh, I, I, the, the team we played that day from Texas was. It, to me, looked like an NFL team. That's before our stadium was built there, you know, the new stadium and everything else. And uh, it was just a phenomenal game and, and the calls that uh, Coach made at that time. And uh, It was a barn burner game. I think, I, I don't even remember the score now. I think it was, we had somewhere in the 50s, and I think they were in the high 40s, and it was a just a knockdown, drag-out football game. And, uh, yeah, the semifinal in '98 against Kingsville. I think yeah, is, Kingsville. And, that's it. And is that the game King. that I've heard that this one of the goalposts came down technically before the game was over? Yes, <laughs> that's right. No, and I can't remember. Maybe you've got—I don't know if you have the score at the bottom who scored and everything. But there was a, a receiver that caught the winning touchdown, and where he 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 caught it going. Uh, going to the north, and uh, I think he made about a 60-yard run with it. And we always joked. I, I don't think they caught him until they got to Burlington Junction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal football game. You know, both teams, but again, the Bearcats prevailed, and being able to uh, bring those playoff games to Northwest was a huge, huge. Uh, experience for everybody, including me, you know, <laughs> and, uh, Matt Simmons and Sherry Reeves, cause we were essentially the, uh, the athletic, uh, team at that time. And there was a lady out of the, uh, central administration helped us a lot too, a lady named Beth Wheeler. And, uh, she helped a, a lot too, but anyway, <laughs> in the first time that we went down to, uh, Florence, Alabama, in '98, to uh, Ray Corder and, and many of the other administrators helped uh, put together 
busloads for kids after the uh, graduation on that Friday night. I think that first time we played in Florence, there were 17 busloads of Bearcat fans. Wow. Students, parents, et cetera, went from Lampkin, from Bearcat Arena to Florence, Alabama in an all-night trip. 17 buses, if you can picture that, of fans for the Bearcats. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the caravan. Yeah, so those were some of the major, major highlights, you know, uh, for me personally. <laughs> well, and I mean, speaking of you personally, you know, talk about achievements. I mean, you were, you were inducted in the M Club Hall of Fame at Northwest in 02, Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 08, MIAA Hall of Fame in 2010. You received the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2010 from, from the College of Education at Northwest. I mean, is there, is there any one of those things? I mean, and it's not to mention the, you know, the Sportsmanship Award and an, and an All-League player um, coach of the year, um, in 79. I mean, is there any one of those accomplishments that you're most proud of? Oh, I think all those honors are, are just tremendous. And it, it's, it just makes you reflect on all the people that had a tremendous influence on you. And, and, uh, uh just to think back at all those. And I, I was inducted into our high school hall of fame in St. Louis to Christian brothers college high school. And I think back, for example, my high school, two coaches there that I had Jack Kirsting in football and DC Wilkett in basketball, very instrumental in my life, my personal life there too. Uh, uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was three and a half years of age. And I really never knew my biological father. Uh, no disrespect to him. I did know the, the Red family. My His mom and dad, he was a bombardier navigator in a B-25 in World War II and shot down over Burma at that time and served uh, 18 months in a Japanese hellhole prisoner of war camp and so forth. And he was the only one from his squad of six guys in that airplane that lived through it. And he was on a Burma death march, but mom always told us when he got home, he was really a much different person. He normally weighed about 210 and got home at 97 pounds. And just wasn't the same fellow. And he died early in life at age 42. But anyway, a lot of men in my life, my uncle Bill, uh, Rupp, and uh, those two coaches I mentioned, and people like Rylan Milner, and President Robert Foster, and uh, Certainly my college coach, Ivan Schottel, who I worked with, all those fellows, uh, Dean Hubbard as well, became like surrogate fathers to me. And I, I reflect on all of those men uh, that helped, helped me uh, grow up, so to speak, as well as mature and hopefully make a difference in life. And uh, so athletics and, and faith and, and uh, certainly... Uh, Development, development uh, in education was very critical, and been trying to put some thoughts down in a, a little booklet uh, called uh, "Surrogate Fathers, uh, Sports, and in Scripture or Faith." Uh, I don't know what I would call it, but anyway, those kinds of things that, uh, at my age, that you kind of reflect back on today. Uh, without those fellows in my life, I'm not sure where I would be, and. Uh, I'm very blessed to have those men in my life that took the time and effort to uh, assist me along the way. And uh, I think back at Norm Stewart 
longtime Missouri basketball coach, and he, he talked about <laughs> some of the honors that he's received, and he says he's many times felt like this, and I'm going to say I felt like this too. If you put a turtle on top of a on top of a fence post out in the country, a turtle didn't get up there by himself. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> helped him up. So I feel like I've had a lot of helpers along the way. Perfect. Well, well, Jim, I sure appreciate your time. You know, you're a guy with a with a kind of a unique perspective on uh, on Northwest, specifically football, because that's what this um, podcast is about. But really, Northwest overall. And, uh, you know, from pretty much, you know, other than a, than a couple of years being involved from, from 60, um, 63 to Oh one. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Um, you know, and so I, I appreciate your time and, and coming on here with me and talking about some great memories. I have, uh, I have no doubt we'll, uh, we'll hopefully do it again in the future. Sounds great. And I really appreciate the opportunity to get to meet you on, on these, uh, podcasts and I can't wait to meet you in person. Welcome back here on Bleeding Green. A big thank you once again to Dr. Jim Red, who was so gracious with his time and and honestly taught me a lot. I mean, this these last couple of weeks worth, and 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 there's a lot of research in it. Trust me, there always is. But there are just so many stories and so many players and things, guys. You know that that you know didn't show up in box scores and things like that. I mean, that's that's so neat and it is really enjoyable for me to learn this. I mean, I have kind of taken it upon myself to to, uh, you know, go and, and learn as much about about the history of Bearcat football. And it's so neat, too, to hear about the culture and all of these things, right, that, that Coach T, rightfully so, is credited with. He is. But, you know, the family aspect of Northwest, you know, that goes back so much further than that. And that's that's really neat to kind of hear and, and hear those stories from, uh, from over the years. For some of us younger fans like myself, I'll, I'm going to throw myself in that category as a younger fan. I'm not quite 40 yet. I'm getting there. But uh, anyway, so I, I definitely appreciate him. And, and uh, upcoming episodes will be a little more recent. Former Northwest and Dallas Cowboy wide receiver Jamaica Rector will be joining me on next week's podcast and uh, other upcoming episodes. Um, you know, Coach Churchma and I haven't really got a chance to sit down and record in long form an entire podcast other than the Road Dogs podcast that aired last season, which I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one if you haven't, you know, where we kind of in, in go over in long form the 2005 season and kind of what led to that season and how that carried over into the five title appearances in a row, four losses, of course, and the win ultimately in 09. And, you know, so much of that foundation is laid by those guys on that 05 team. And anyway, so that's really special. But this is kind of the beginning. Coach T and I are going to be talking about the beginning of kind of how he came to being interested into Northwest, which, of course, he had some history with Northwest, um, getting his master's degree in Maryville. And, and uh, 
anyway, then kind of the, the foundation and the building of that very first coaching staff, which is a really special group of guys who were together, you know, for a really long time. And, and even most of them, you know, remained on except to go on to do bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, and kind of start that, that uh, coach church, my coaching tree that we talk about. And, and then as well, Greg Teal, you know, talking about the early, early years, um, you know, Greg Teal will be joining me. And, and those are all kind of episodes coming up in the next couple of months here. There's not a whole lot of current stuff to talk about as far as Bearcats until really media day, which is going to be towards the end of July. Usually it's right around that last week of July, first week of August, right before fall camp starts. And so we'll, uh, of course, be talking about that and getting ready for September 1st on a Thursday night under the lights at Bearcat Stadium against Hayes. And uh, so that's, of course, a big one. But there'll be some other stuff, lots of history and other things to talk about. I did want to talk about a little bit of kind of current uh, stuff. Of course, Sam Roberts getting drafted by the New England Patriots. And then, then Caden Davis getting signed uh, to the Denver Broncos and kind of got some some more news. Of course, Al McKellar goes to the Montreal Alouettes. We knew about Brody Buck and the Birmingham Stallions. I, I want to take a second, too, and, and thoughts and prayers go out to the Buck family. His father, Jim, passed away unexpectedly here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, anyway, Jim and Jane and, and Brody as well, you know, really made this past fall really special for me personally. As, as kind and everything as, you know, Eli kind of adopted Brody as his, as his favorite Bearcat. And, and we, you know, we talked about it and things I haven't really covered it much, but um, you know, his parents, I mean, they did a heck of a job with him. You know, Brody is a spectacular young man and he was so awesome and, and so gracious and everything to, to Eli. And that's, you know, kind of, again, we talk about that family atmosphere where we can go down on the field after games. I mean, that kind of stuff is special. That doesn't happen everywhere else. I'm just telling you, you know, go look at the other stadiums after games when we go to play other teams. Not that there isn't some of that, but it but it's not like Northwest where the whole community basically, you know, is is on the field and and just a part of it all anyway. And so uh, really just heartbreaking news for them and, and thinking about uh, Brody and, and his mom, Jane, and, and his siblings as well. And so definitely keep them in, in your thoughts and prayers as uh, as well for that and and. Uh, Tanner Owen, of course, signed a free agent deal with the Buffalo Bills, talking about other Bearcats. Uh, Gabe Bouts, we just found out, got an invite here this week to the uh, to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers camp, so that's pretty cool. Simon Matisse, and there's a kind of a blast from the past, right? Haven't heard his name in a while. Uh, he got is getting an NFL camp workout with the Cowboys. That's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of us consider him probably the best kicker in Northwest history. I don't know. I don't know if I do, but I think he's in the he's in the you know, if, if he's not the top one, he's top two or at worst three. I mean, Luis Berlanga, you know, he doesn't, didn't have the longevity of, of a Matisse and, uh, um, you know, Matisse, I mean, good grief, anything under 40 was just automatic, but, uh, um, you know, it, Berlanga was really special as well, kind of in the early 2000s. Eddie Abara was a good kicker. We've had a lot of good kickers over the years, but, but Simon's up there. If he's not the greatest, he's probably two. Um, anyway, so that's pretty cool. He's got kind of an opportunity, uh, there as well. And, uh, anyway, I don't know, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as, as there's other opportunities, you know, Alec Tatum is playing overseas as well. And, and I don't know, Imani Donadell, I don't think he's signed on anywhere as of yet, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him if he wants to, I think the opportunity will be there for him to play professionally and, uh, it's, it's some aspect. So anyway, that's pretty cool. Just kind of wanted to throw out there some of the some of the current uh, or you know young recently graduated Bearcat players kind of plying their trade and and uh, doing their thing as well. 
Obviously, if you can't tell, yeah, I'm still, still battling these allergies and this throat issue that I've had going on. But luckily, these uh, these episodes are, are pretty much all recorded. So I'm going to I'm gonna cut it off there. Again, if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do that a lot of different ways. Join my Facebook Bleeding Green uh, podcast group. You can go throw a like there. I usually try to post once or twice a week. There's not as much stuff going on this time of the year, but I try to share things and uh, let you know when episodes are upcoming, that sort of thing. You you can also do that on the website, bleedinggreenpodcast.com. That's the easiest way to share the podcast. If you want to have uh, somebody listen to it that you think might enjoy it, please do that. That definitely helps things. And you can throw me a follow on Twitter, just my personal Twitter account. But I, it, it's probably a third to half uh, Bearcat related. <laughs> so at FroDaddy84 is my Twitter handle. But thanks so much for tuning in once again. Again, next week, Jamaica Rector here on Bleeding Green. That's going to do it for this episode. I appreciate you so much. And as always, go Bearcats.